0: Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Quote: can, can I can I quote Bill and Ted as the answer of what is the meaning of life? Diz Runs Radio episode six hundred and eighty one starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running life and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are, end of January 2019. Can you believe it? We're already one twelfth of the way through 2019. But don't worry, I'm not going to start dwelling on uh, the end of end of the year just yet, but it is the end of the month, which means it's time for a little listener Q&A action where you submit your questions, I submit some answers, and hopefully, with a little bit of luck, the answers are actually useful, worthwhile, and, uh, you know, help. Help with whatever... Issues, problems, struggles that you're dealing with. But before we dive into today's questions, I want to take a minute and welcome a new uh, sponsor to the show. Always nice to get new sponsors, new products to, to talk about, especially when they're, they're high-quality products as well. And uh, today's today's sponsor and today's episode is sponsored by uh, Exoskin, which is a, a company that um, creates really good clothing options for runners from, from socks to shirts to compression gear, uh, the whole nine more things coming as this company continues to grow and, and evolve and, you know, uh, become more of a household name in the market. Uh, but, you know, a few things, and we're going to be talking about a lot of things over the course of the next uh, several months. They, they've got a, a long run of, of episodes that they're sponsoring. Um, so we can, we can talk about all kinds of, of ways that and reasons that I'm, a, I'm definitely an exoskin fan. Um, but uh, the, the first one, the first one that comes to mind, um, they... they have kind of developed this this process that's basically seamless knitting so they have their very few seams on their clothes which are which are awesome because it, no matter what kind of, of gear you have compression gear otherwise uh, the seams are are where where you get the rub for the most part you know where there's a seam there's a chance for chafing and uh, with with the extra skin gear, uh, basically, I have like you know, the the claim is ninety percent fewer seams than you know traditional uh, clothing items of the same the same type. And I can vouch for that. I've got a, a pair of the socks which are fantastic. They're they're the toe socks as well. They've got both toe socks and non toe socks. Got a couple of shirts on the way as well. Um, but but the socks, I mean, they have no seam. there, there is no seam. I, I don't know how it works out. How the how the sock stays together. Um, but there is no seam on those jokers at all, which means, like I said, less of a chance for rubbing, less of a chance for friction, hot spots, chafing, blisters, whatever whatever you uh, have maybe experienced in the past, Exoskin solves that problem, and it's the same thing with the shirt, same thing with the compression shorts, uh, compression socks, the whole nine yards, uh, and they're also, yeah, everything uh, Exoskin-wise, made in the USA, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can get it, try it, and if you don't like it, you can return it for a full refund, and, and not... A lot of companies, especially a lot of kind of the big, big name companies, uh, stand behind their products quite like the team at Exoskin does. So if you want to check it out, exoskin.com, that's the letter X, the letter O, skin.com. Actually, hold on. I'm getting my, my links all wrong here. Uh, exoskin.us is the website. Exoskin, again, the letter X, the letter O, skin.us is the link, not .com, .us. And, uh, Make sure you use the code DISRONS at checkout because that'll save you 20% on your order as well. Also, let them know that their advertising dollars are going to good use, um, which helps keep the the money's flowing into my account, which keeps everybody happy because the lights are on, the podcast is coming out. The, Things are continuing to grow and be developed. You win, I win, the company wins, everybody wins. And ultimately, that's the goal when it comes to uh, the sponsors and the partners that I work with is that we want it to be a win-win-win for everybody. So uh, exoskin.us is the website. Check it out. Uh, And if you have any questions on, on the products, certainly let me know. Uh, If you're in the Facebook group, uh, there's a couple people in the group as well that are associated with ExoSkin. We can tag you into those, you know, leave a question, leave a comment. We can tag you in. I can make some introductions and uh, you can get your questions answered as we go. So thanks to ExoSkin for sponsoring today's episode. So like I mentioned, today is a listener Q&A episode. And if you're new to the show, what that simply means is that uh, you ask, I answer. So I, I put a post out into the Facebook group somewhere in the middle of the month People that are in the Facebook group, listeners to the show, ask questions in the comments, and today I get to attempt to answer them. Sometimes the answers are spot on. Sometimes the answers uh, maybe miss a mark. Not for lack of trying, but uh, you know it's free advice. So I guess I guess on, in a sense you get what you pay for, right? Hopefully they're helpful though. That's always the goal is to to have helpful helpful questions or helpful answers to your questions. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get some fun questions as well, which there is no, there is no helpful answer for other than maybe a a few lols and uh, a couple of grins as we go. So without any further ado, we will dive into today's questions and, uh, here we go. First question comes from Alan says, how do I get in long runs when the winter weather hits and it's not safe to get outside? So, um, you know, there's, there's kind of two ways you can go with this question, Alan. And, uh, you know, it's, it's coming from the guy in Florida. So, you know, maybe you uh, want to tell me to go pound sand, but basically the way I see it, you can either, you know, get on the treadmill or you can suck it up and get outside. Um, I know, I know, I know it's the, when I, when I say that everybody that's, that's anywhere North of, you know, wherever it's, it's legitimately cold, rolling your eyes, gritting your teeth saying, yeah, of course the, the clown in Florida, where it's hardly ever below 40 degrees is going to tell us to suck it up and get outside. But yes, yes, that's, that's basically what I'm going to tell you, um, you know, as as runners, we we've got options. You can get on the treadmill and grind it out for a couple hours on the treadmill. If that's your thing, you know that's not my thing, and and I'm not going to pretend like I'm not fortunate to live down here where you know I can I can get away with uh, you know having my quote unquote cold winter runs be you know 35 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, you know, it, it is what it is, and, and obviously that comes back the other way when it's still you know October and it's still ninety eight degrees and seventy percent humidity, uh, and everybody else, all you you northern folks, are dealing with beautiful fall running temperatures, and I'm still slaving away like it's it's the summertime, and I have that choice then: either get out get outside and suck it up, deal with the heat, or get on the treadmill. So if you're in the north right now where it's winter and it's cold. Um, that's that's kind of the two options now I don't want to just be callous and say that those are the two options, but but ultimately that's that is the case. So you know w- with your question, Alan though, with the, the wording, uh, something that that I do want to uh, to talk on there for a second, where it's not safe to run outside I'm, I'm curious what you mean by not safe because um, as as Ms Walton. Is uh, fond of saying something to the effect of "It's never too cold if you have the right gear." So if if you're saying that it's not safe because it's dangerously cold, dangerously you know windy windshield factors that are getting in the in the way there. Um, one option might be to invest in some better running gear, uh, some some warm weather stuff. And if you're not sure where to start, there's a there's a post in the Facebook group uh, from I think it was sometime in November when when winter was starting to uh, approach. Did a a daily Diz post talking about what kind of, of cold weather gear is most important for runners, kind of asking the veteran cold weather runners to share some of their insights with those who are maybe a bit newer to uh, running outside in the winter. So you can check that post out. You can you can either search for it in the group, just search, I think, cold or cold weather, something like that. You just put that in the search bar. It'll be one of the, the top couple of, of posts there. Um, you can also head to the show notes, disruns.com slash 681. It's linked right there in the show notes, just under the picture of uh, the little meme of SpongeBob saying, suck it up, buttercup, because that's that's you know part of it. Get the right gear, then suck it up and get outside. Now, if you're saying that it's not safe because it's icy, don't want to slip and fall that's a valid ex- that's a valid not excuse that's a valid concern we definitely don't want to slip and fall I, I'm I'm encouraging all of my my athletes these days to be to be cautious be careful outside if you're gonna run outside in the wintertime definitely be weary of icy icy roads icy sidewalks things like that you know I, I the last thing we need is somebody to slip and pull a muscle or break a bone or something like that because there's some black ice that they didn't see that said there's a there's a workaround for that as well get a pair of yak tracks or something similar The little uh you know if you're not sure what those are they're basically uh you know kind of like cleats almost kind of you know they're not necessarily cleats but it's kind of a good way to describe it it slips over the outside of your your running shoes um and gives you some better traction it helps to eat into the ice eat into that that hard packed snow that can be a little bit slippery so that when you're running outside in the winter months you maintain pretty good traction um, yes, these things cost money. Yes. The winter gear, you know, good winter gear is an expense. I'm not going to pretend like it's not that said it's a, it's an investment in maybe in your sanity, in your training, in your fitness, in your health, uh, in something that if you're planning on maintaining running for years to come and you live somewhere North, don't, don't cut the corners. Don't, uh, you know, try to, to get the, the, the best steals of a deal, get the good stuff, spend the money for it. Um, and, and get some gear that'll last you for, for years, keep you warm, keep you healthy, keep you safe outside. You know, if you need some, some good, uh, base layers, exoskin sponsored today's episode, they've got some of that kind of stuff too. long sleeves, bottoms, tops, things like that, that are going to help you stay warm when you're outside running in the cold. So get, get the gear, Alan, I guess is, is, is one option. If, if that isn't, an option if that's not something that you're either able to invest in right now or if it's just one of those cases where you just don't want to get outside when it's you know negative 10 or something like that i get it you know i'm not i'm not jealous and envious of uh y'all that are out there when it's wicked cold and and doing you know doing your runs with your eyelashes creating icicles and things like that That's not that's not uh exactly my idea of a good time so if, if that's the case move inside. And and maybe that doesn't mean the treadmill, you know, maybe that just means that if, if it's just kind of one of those really freakishly cold days or a, a week or 10 days or something like that, where you're not going to be able to get out and do your runs because you don't have the gear and it's, it's, you're just not going to invest in it for one week a year or one week, every couple years that you're not able to get outside. What can you do during these next five, seven, 10, 15 days to keep things moving forward? Now, maybe you're not going to run as much, but what can you do instead? Can you do some foam rolling? Can you do you have access to a, a spin bike, an exercise bike? You can get on a bike and, and do some cardio that way. Um, maybe just get if you have a, a regular road bike that you use in the summertime. You know, can you get a, a trainer a trainer unit? whatever that you can now mount that up in the house and just, and just spin and watch some TV, get the legs moving, get the heart rate going, get the sweat burning a little bit without being outside. Uh, can you just do some, some body weight strength training exercises? Can you do some yoga? Can you do some foam rolling? You know, all of these things uh, are things that you can do. that are going to keep you moving in the right direction. Um, yeah. Is, is it, is it the same as running? Obviously not. You know, if, if you don't run for 10 days or two weeks or something like that, is it going to be a step back in your fitness? Meh, maybe minimally, but as long as you're staying active, you're not going to drop very much. So, you know, when, when it comes to I am not sure I can run outside safely in the wintertime. You know, if you if you're really worried about it and, and seriously, all all jokes aside, all suck it up buttercups and treadmills and all that stuff aside, if you're if you're not sure that you're gonna be safe, then don't run. Don't run outside for for a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it takes, whenever until you get that thaw and you feel safe again. But that doesn't mean just laze around and not do anything for your fitness, and you're going to lose everything. Be active. Do some stuff in the house. Do some calisthenics. Do some burpees, some jumping jacks, some push-ups. Get one of the little units that goes over your your door frame so you can do some pull-ups. Get a get a, a kettlebell, you know, and do some swings. All these things. Again, yes, some of these things cost a little bit of money, but you know, I mean, I spent I don't know what I spent thirty dollars or forty dollars on a on a pull-up bar that fits over my door. I can't see a situation where I'll ever outuse that, you know, where I'll ever wear it out and need to get a new one. So, you know, $30 for something that'll last me for the next 25, 30 years for my fitness, keep my, keep my back muscles strong. Uh, you know, things like that. I think it's worth it, you know, Uh, 30 or $40 for a good kettlebell that you can do kettlebell swings with. You can do, uh, all kinds of, of strength training exercises with, you know, that's, that's not a bad way to spend 30 or 40 bucks one time, you know? so, so, look at some of those options and there's plenty of things you can do body weight wise, even if you don't want to spend any money. So, you know, be active, do some things to, to keep the momentum going, keep in the routine. Don't just get lazy and veg out. Um, you know, still, if you're going to normally would run in the morning, get up and be active, get up and, and read, get up and, and, and use that extra time that you're like, you know what? I'm not going to run. I'm making the choice to not run today because of the weather, but what can I do that's still productive? Do those things, keep moving forward. And then once the weather breaks, once sp- spring is sprung, you, get back out there. And, you know, it might take you a few weeks to get back to where you were, whatever. In, in the grand scheme of things, not a big deal. Next question coming from, let me scroll down here. Ms. Mead, who says, uh, what advice would you give to a non-coach that is setting up a supportive community run, walk, meetup group of varying speeds and abilities? And she, uh, adds a little bit that note that for my group, we are a bunch of misfits, the quote unquote non-runners turned runners, the I haven't ran in years, but what the hell, let's do this runners, the quote slow as molasses runners. We are the ones that don't fit in a normal running group, so we're making our own misfit group. First and foremost, Mead, I love what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I, I I can't, you know, job well done in, in getting this thing started. The advice that I have for you two bits of advice. I could probably give you a half a dozen, but let's not, let's not try to overwhelm. The advice I have is, to, uh, like I said, two points. One, be patient and two, make sure it stays fun. So on the patience piece, whenever you get something like this started, um, and, and knowing a little bit of, of kind of some backstory and, and seeing a couple of, uh, Facebook posts and things like that, that, that you've put out there, um, I know that there's been a little bit of there's been some interest. There's been some people that are excited about this this misfit band of non-runners that are going to be run walkers together. I think it's awesome. But understand that that, that excitement at the beginning that's that, that you're probably feeling that others are feeling as well, it, it can start to wane when you start to get into it and it just kind of becomes, you know, it's it's not new anymore. It's not new and exciting. So as as the leader the the quote unquote de facto leader of this, of this group, this organization, this meetup, this, this band of, of merry men and women that are getting out there and, and, and moving. You need to, to be patient in allowing this thing to build and become its own entity. Meaning you can't just kind of get it started and then back off and think that it's going to keep going because it's not, It, it, it needs you right now to kind of keep things going. So you've got to be patient with it and, 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 really kind of invest the time into getting this thing to, to take on legs of its own. You know, when, when the Facebook group started um, and, and I really got serious about kind of making it engaging and making it the best Facebook group out there for runners and, and whether or not we're there is obviously a subjective argument, but that's the goal. Um, You know, it, it was, it was me being the one that was posting on a very regular basis on a daily basis to try to get things going but over the I don't even know how long it's been now, a year and a half, maybe two years that, that, that there's been Daily Diz posts and we've really been been building up this this group, um, you know, I, I could right now if I wanted to disappear and not post for a week or ten days and things would keep going. W- would it be noticed that I'm not there? Probably. But between Melody and Julie and Jen and John and, and Isla um and, and I know I'm missing a handful of others, Katie and and, and there's there's you know there's there's a, a good solid consistent 10 or 15 people that I can pretty much count on each of them creating a post at least once or twice a week, you know, and then there's, there's a whole host of other people. And I, I don't mean to single anybody out, um, because I, I, it would take forever. And I, I know I would forget people. Um, but there's a whole host of others that are chiming in sporadically asking questions, uh, sharing, sharing, um, progress reports, accountability reports, um, and if I, if I missed you, there's a, there's a few names that are already starting to come to, to mind now, and I, I could rattle off more, uh, but I know I'd be keep forgetting more. But anyway, the point being that after, you know, eight months or a year of me consistently posting, things started to pick up. And now, you know, I'm obviously still continuing to post, still continuing to interact and engage, but the group has kind of become its own entity that's less reliant on me and more reliant on the strength of the group. And that's what your group mead will become eventually, but you got to help get it over that hump. So you got to be showing up, showing your face, encouraging people, keeping them coming and and that kind of leads into the second bit there, keep it fun. Now how do you do that? Well, there's there's a whole host of ways. You you know, and depending on on the group and the personalities of of you, personalities of, of the the rest of the people in the group, it can take on some different, different functions. It could be something like, you know, you meet at the, at the donut shop or the coffee shop, you go for your run together. And then afterwards, everybody kind of sits down and shares a cup of coffee. You have a donut, whatever the case might be, could be a brunch type of thing. If you're doing this more in the afternoons, evenings, it could be something where you're meeting at the, at the, the watering hole and, and meeting for having a beer or a, a margarita or something like that. Afterwards, those types of options are, are fairly common. Um, and, and not bad. Certainly not bad. That's the kind of thing that keeps it fun. People show up for that community. They show up for that support. They show up to, to know that they're going to have somebody to have a drink with or a cup of coffee with afterwards. So so that might be something that would be fun. Um, another idea that I thought of that I think would be really fun if it fits the right dynamics of the group is that you could almost kind of institute uh, some sort of, of kangaroo court situation for for the um you know, for, for the is runners, runners group. So, um, you know, what is it? If you're not sure what a kangaroo court is, it's kind of one of those things where you have arbitrary rules that, and then you collect fines when somebody breaks the rules. So it could be something like, um, no complaining about your spouse or your husband. If you do it, it your, your spouse, or your partner, uh, if you do, it's a dollar fine. Every time you, 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 complain about your partner during a run, um, you know, no, um, complaining about work. That's a $2 fine or whatever, you know, no, no complaining about your kids or traffic or making excuses for why you didn't, didn't, uh, show up or no, you know, there's a fine for no show. So if, you know, if you have to RSVP on a Facebook post, like who's going to be there tomorrow morning for the, the, the run on Saturday. Um, and, and everybody who says that they're going to be there, if they don't show up, that's a $5 fine or, or whatever, you know, you make the fines, you know, it's something that it's not, it's not obviously a financial burden for people. Um, but something that, you know, kind of helps make it fun. And then maybe you have a a list of things that are worth credits. So, you know, if you, if you bring a new, a new person to the group, that's a $10 credit. So you can, you can go ahead and incur some fines, you know, for every, every curse word that you utter. Maybe that's a, that's a, I don't know, depending on the group, that could either be a credit or that could be a fine. Um, but, but whatever, you know, something like that where you're making it fun. There's a checklist, you're collecting some money. And then, and then what you do with that money after, you know, every month or every quarter is up to you. Maybe you donate it to a charity. Maybe you, um, you know, use that to, to host a, a quarterly um, or to help to defray the cost of a quarterly group, you know, cookout potluck type of thing that you set up to, to kind of have a social side of the group beyond just the runs. I don't I don't know. Again, it's something that, that works for you. You have to kind of figure out what works for you, what works for your group, but that'd be something that could be really fun um, and and help keep people engaged, help keep people, ha- you know, participating. And, and, and like you said, uh, you know, this is a group of people that maybe... Aren't runners haven't run before or started to run and stopped. So it's 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 a group that needs some help to to overcome that resistance, overcome that inertia of not being active. And so making it fun, keeping it light, uh, having some fines maybe um, something like that can be could be something that could really could could kind of help help this group take on a life of its own to the point where then you know you're you're maybe still the seen as the leader but you're not, the group isn't dependent on you. And that's where you ultimately want to get to and ultimately will get to if you keep it going. But um, I, please keep us posted on how this is going. Uh, I love the idea. I love what you're doing. Um, and certainly if there's anything that, that I can do, if you have any questions or something like that, advice that I can offer from from my perspective, uh, i 'm happy to do so, so just keep me keep me posted but but kudos mead hope those gives you some suggestions or hope that gives you some suggestions on some ideas at least to help you you know, make this thing really really stick um and and I love it so uh good good luck and thanks for the question uh next question coming from Jenny it says should one walk on the days that one isn't running say for an hour or do strength training or would or would strength training be a better option uh jenny i'm I'm gonna say and and try not to be snarky here but uh you know both maybe, uh, I don't think it's necessarily one or the other type of situation. I, I, you know, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of walking time on your feet. I'm a big fan of strength training. I'm a big fan of yoga and foam rolling and all of the little things that we can do to improve our health. So on those days that you're not running, you know, a little bit of both, a little dabble, do you. Um, yes, being on your feet, going for a walk is, is great. Um, you know, and, and, and so is strength training. So is some yoga. So, you know, if you, if you've got, you know, say about an hour each day or at least an hour on your non-running days that you could be doing something, do something. Uh, don't just sit on uh, on the couch and uh, scroll through through Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Not that, you know, I mean, I, I do that stuff as well. Um, but, you know, if you can if you can use that that hour productively to go walk while you're doing that or to do some stretching while you're doing that, to, to pop, you know, some yoga on YouTube and do a yoga routine, do some strength training, all of those things are great, you know? So, so kind of do what you like, Um, you know, but I don't feel like it's an either or, you know, you could do 20, 30 minutes of strength training and go for a 20, 30 minute walk. You could do 20, 30 minutes of strength training and do a half an hour yoga video and, or, you know, yoga routine. You're covering that, that hour, you're being active, you're moving the ball forward. Um, and you're also shoring up some of those deficiencies that can show up, um, when, when all we do is run or, you know, and even, even walking is kind of similar. So can you get on the bike? Can you go swimming? Can you do some other cross training activities, mix and match, pl- plug and play, do some different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can do something for an hour each day to, to help with your overall health, your overall fitness, it's going to obviously help your overall health and overall fitness, but it's also going to help your running. So, um, love it, Jenny, stay, stay active, doing something every day. That is, I think that's, that's vitally important to our, our successes as runners. And again, as our, to our overall health as well. So, uh, keep, keep it up, mix and match, have some fun with it. Um, and, and, and nothing but the best. And, and, uh, obviously thank you for the question. Next question comes from Tom. He says, I will be traveling to my first destination race later this month. Any tips on traveling and trying to run at peak performance in a situation like this, this will be a half marathon. So, uh, Tom, I, I have a couple of, of bits of advice, um, that said, I, I, I don't want to just let all the air out of your, your balloon there, but I kind of feel like I might be a little bit. So when you're traveling to a destination race, um, I struggle with the idea. And this isn't obviously just for you, Tom, this is for everybody. I struggle with the idea of really setting a big goal as far as a performance goal for a destination race, because you're so far out of your normal routine. Not only are you obviously, out, you know, it's, it's, it's a race. So there's extra stress and anxiety for that. But you know, sleep is going to be different. You may be in different time zones depending on, on where you're going, destination wise. Food is going to be all out of whack. Um, you know, you might be. You know, for example, if you're coming to Disney for a destination race, running running the Disney marathon or half marathon or something like that, you might be walking around the parks the day beforehand, which is more time on your feet than usual. Thinking that it's not that big of a deal, and in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. You can still run a good race. But if you're trying to run like peak performance, those types of things. Are, are tough to do and and any type of destination destination race, that is always an issue. So um, I'm kind of more of a fan of making having fun the number one priority of a destination race. Um, and sometimes by doing that, by shifting the focus away from peak performance to, to just having fun, um, you end up having a pretty darn good performance, you know, but, but I think that I think there's something to home field advantage, whether that's right there in your town or, you know, something that's an hour ish drive away where you can still sleep at home Go through your normal morning routine, normal evening routine the night before a long runner race, get to the race. And I think those are, that's the type of thing that sets you up best for peak performance. So, um, I struggle with the idea of saying destination races and peak performance. I think that it can happen, but there's a lot of other variables, which, you know, kind of, if you're going to try to do it anyway, some of those other variables, um, you know, one of the things that I've I've started to do, or kind of figured out, uh, honed in on in the last six or eight months of doing some traveling and, and running some races, is I figured out what I can eat and what I you know what I can get to eat the night before uh, a race that I can get pretty much anywhere, at least in the United States, probably in most kind of developed parts of the world as well. Um, so you know I'm not reliant on some home cooked um, meal that uh, that is going to be hard to replicate when I'm staying in a hotel. Or staying in an Airbnb and don't have my vast array of condiments and spices and seasonings and, and all of the, the the foods that I have at home, uh, you know. So for me, it's it's you know I go to the grocery store and get like a, a rotisserie cooked chicken, uh, some fruit and some like some carrot sticks or something like that for some vegetables and some yogurt, uh, you know, s- some full fat yogurt, um, and that's that's kind of what I eat the night before a race. It really it, it works for me. May or may not work for you, but that's that's what I've found that really settles on my stomach. I feel good the next day. I don't have any issues with GI issues. I don't have any issues with uh, bonking or hitting the wall. I can just kind of cruise on that for 26 to I guess 32 miles um, by eating that kind of meal the night before. And again, I can get that anywhere. If I have a hotel, I can get it. If there's a little mini fridge, I can get it a couple of days before, and it'll be waiting for me. Um, you know, the night before the race, I don't have to worry about finding a certain restaurant or a certain style of of cuisine. Um, but to eat your own. I know, I mean, obviously chain restaurants, you can find those most places. So if there's a meal that you can, that you can, that you know, sits well for you that you can find elsewhere. I think that's a good, uh, a good thing to do. Um, you know, staying hydrated, getting hydrated before you travel, uh, taking care of as much as you can before you travel. So there's less stress and anxiety. Uh, A couple of other people, Jennifer and and Julie chimed in with some ideas as far as, you know, packing everything on the carry on, of course, um, kind of having a a feel for, for where the hotel is going to be, maybe springing for the, uh, the host hotel, as opposed to trying to, 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 sleep cheap at a, at an Airbnb or a discount hotel that's farther away, just for the convenience factor. Um, you know, when I was in Wichita, uh, for the Prairie Fire Marathon, it was nice to literally be able to walk, I don't know, a hundred yards from the hotel to the start and finish line. Um, I mean, literally it was at the, the base of the hotel driveway was, you know, the start finish line. So, um, that made it really convenient. I didn't have to try to get there early. I could literally stay in the hotel lobby, stay in my room until 10 minutes before the race, five minutes before the race and walk outside and be ready to go. Um, that was kind of nice. So maybe doing something like that to, to cut down on the, the inconvenience. Um, but, uh, definitely, you know, kind of, of, Nope. You know, doing some of that, that preparation beforehand, as far as food goes, uh, what kind of stuff you can, can bring with you. That is always helpful as well. Uh, but I think that, that solving that food issue when you travel is, is one of the biggest issues for runners. Um, and then making sure also, you know, having a good, uh, sleep routine and, and maybe that means being at a hotel, having, um, you know, earplugs, eye mask, sound machine things like that and being comfortable with them before you get to the hotel uh so that you can you know don't have the door slamming and the baby's crying and the, the light that trickles in from under the door the the, the fire alarm light that you're not used to that's, that's flashing all night or things like that that could interrupt your sleep and not let you sleep as well so uh good luck to you tom hope you have a great race um but i would definitely encourage you to make fun the number one priority have a good time have a good experience um and then you know, If you happen to have a great race as well, that's just icing on the cake. But if not, you still had fun. You still got to travel, visit a new place, see a different part of the, the country or world, and uh, hopefully that's maybe as rewarding or if not more rewarding than a new PR or something like that, which I know that's kind of sounds ridiculous, but that's that's the, the, the mindset that I try to have when I'm traveling to a race. Is that have fun first and hopefully have a good race experience as well as far as race performance. But if not, as long as I had fun and had a good overall trip, it's, it's going to be a win. Uh, another question from Tom, how do you not get discouraged when you put in your best effort, but winter weather conditions make for a slower run. For example, running hard through slushy road conditions and dodging snow plow snow plows. Um, so, uh, Tom, <sighs> this one's going to be kind of short and sweet, but uh, you just got to let it go. Uh, and again, easier said than done. I totally get it. Um, but when it comes to the weather, you can control what you can control. And the thing that you can control is your effort. So put forth a good effort. And maybe that means that you're not pushing very hard. You're trying to run easy. Maybe that means that you are put. it's a speed workout day or it's a hard workout day. You're pushing the pace and it doesn't seem like it's showing up. That happens. It happens to all of us. It happens to me in the summertime when it's hot and humid and you know, all of a sudden the the heart rate has to go way slower to keep my body, or I have to go way slower to keep my body cool while keeping my heart rate below a certain threshold. Um, and, and I just don't, I don't worry about it. I don't, I don't get caught up in the ego of, oh, what's, this is going to look ridiculous on, on Strava or things like that. Um, because the people that, that care about that are the people that are judging me because, oh wow, this clown, he's only running, you know, eleven fifteen pace. Uh, why, why should I think that he would be a good coach for me when, when he can't even run faster than that? Well, on race day, I show up and I, I can throw down, you know, uh, not that I'm super fast, but I mean, I just, I just ran, I just PR in a marathon with a, with a nine, nine Oh four, nine Oh five average pace for the marathon. And if you look, you know, that for that race, but if you look at all of my training in the last six months, I'm at 1030, 1040, 1115. Um, that's, that's my training paces, but on race day, you know, I'm, I'm a bit faster than what I train at. So, um, don't get discouraged by a slower run or a, a run that, that a training run that doesn't seem like it's, it's the results are there. Cause that, that doesn't honestly, that doesn't matter. I don't think for most of us, we would rather be faster and fit on race day than on some random training day in the middle of February. So, um, you know, if the, if the weather sucks, get out there, put in the the appropriate effort for that day. And if, if the, the, the quote unquote numbers, the data on Strava or on, on, on Garmin don't look right. say la vie, amigo. No, no big deal. Next question comes from uh, Mr. McCollum, Jason down here in Lakeland says uh, coffee before or after you run. Um, old Diz would say both, uh, coffee before coffee after, um, if, if in a perfect world, you know, a water stop that had coffee in it as well. that wasn't scalding hot, but you know, something that I could, I could choke down a little bit of coffee at, at the middle of a run. That would be the ideal situation. Present day Diz says coffee after simply because heart rate training, caffeine, uh, kind of screws some things up of having the coffee beforehand. Cause then I had to run even slower, walk more because the caffeine is messing with my heart rate. And you know, I mean, I just come off of answering a question saying, you know, who cares the data? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That said, you know, I, if, if I'm going to, if I'm training, I want to be able to run as much as possible while keeping my heart rate within that window. So, uh, I'll sacrifice the morning cup of coffee before my runs, uh, to help keep my heart rate as low as, as low as it can be while, while running, uh, to, to keep running more. Um, that does, however, not include race day because on race day, heart rate doesn't matter on race day. I'm going baby, you know, um, I'm running smart. I'm, I'm running by feel, but I don't care if my heart rate's higher than normal. It's race day. So, you know, the day, the day of a race, the morning of a race coffee, uh, you know, during a race, if, if it's available coffee, if it's an ultra, like it was a couple weeks ago, Mountain Dew, Uh, you know, if, if I've got the, uh, the, the leaded version of tailwind with me, which I did the, the, uh, caffeine laced tailwind, give me some of that, um, heart rate doesn't matter. It's race day. I want something that gives me a little pep, a little boost of energy. I will take the caffeine all day on race day, but, uh, for normal runs, just the coffee after. And yeah, any, any time of year, I don't care hot, hot as Hades in July in Lakeland. I want that coffee after my run. Uh, cold as hell. I want that coffee after my run. Um, anywhere in between. I want that coffee after I run. And uh, not many races have the the, uh, the old coffee bar set up post race. But if they did, they would have a fan in this guy. Give me that coffee over the, over the beer, over the chocolate milk, uh, over the Gatorade, coffee, coffee, coffee. I might have a problem. But I don't consider it a problem. So I, I guess in that sense, it's not, not a problem. Um, before we get to the next question, we got a, another handful to go. Uh, once again, I want to give a shout-out to uh, my friends over at Exoskin, uh, making making some really good clothes. And um, one of the things that they, they, they asked me to stress, and I'm, I'm happy to stress, is that they're not just about socks, which is, which is what a lot of people, I think, think of um, when, when you're talking about kind of getting some, some really good sweat-wicking, odor, odor absorbing, uh, you know, good gear, uh, socks is, is kind of a a pretty common place to start. And they've certainly got the socks. Like I said, they've got the toe socks, the regular socks, high, low compression, the, you know, whatever, whatever style of socks you like, you like, they've got them, but they've also got a lot of, a whole host of other things. They've got, uh, compression gear, tops and bottoms. They've got, you know, uh, Long sleeve shirts, short sleeve shirts, uh, compression compression shirts. You know, form fit shirts. Um, arm uh, leg sleeves coming. Uh, arm sleeves coming as well. Uh, I think I've heard rumors of sports bras coming as well. So something that that wicks the sweat away, doesn't stink. It's got the copper in it as well, so it doesn't. It, it really does absorb the odor. And and one of the cool things about it as well, about about all the Exoskin products, about the the fabric that they use, is that the 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 odor absorption that's, that's in there. The the copper. The 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 patented a protected technology that they have it's not something that washes out so it's not something that you use and then after a few washes it's not as it's not as good it st- stops being as as you know the compression starts to wear off uh the, the it doesn't wick sweat as much all of a sudden it starts to be uh, be be uh, you know kind of absorbs instead of wicks um no no no, no. that's that's Some of the other products that are like that, some of their their competitors, uh, but, but Exoskin, the way that the, the fabric is, is made from the get go, it's actually in the fabric. So you can't wash it out. Uh, eventually the clothes might wear out. Although my socks are still looking brand new after, I don't know how many months it's been that I've been, been wearing them. So no issue And I I wear them. I might wear them a bit more often than I should without washing them in between, you know, don't, don't tell anybody. Um, but, uh, I might, I might be almost trying to wear these things out and they still are, are working great. Um, so definitely worth checking out, uh, putting on your, your list the next time you, you, somebody needs to get you a gift, say, hey, hit up exoskin.us, get me a whatever, uh, and, and don't forget to use the code DISRUNS at checkout as well. Save yourself, save, save the person buying you a gift. Do them a favor, save them 20%. If you're buying yourself a gift, save yourself 20% using the code exoskin at checkout, or exoskin, using the code disruns at exoskin.us when you're at the checkout counter there. So uh, like I said, shirts, sleeves, socks, uh, compression shorts, the whole nine all there all good quality gear. So, thanks to Exoskin once again for supporting the show. Uh, next question comes from Ms. Kate. Says uh, strength, uh, or asks: Strength training the week before a race or throughout the the taper period if it's longer than a week, uh, should I stay the course? Should I decrease the intensity of the weights? Skip a few sessions? Uh, more concerned certainly with lower body than uh, upper body. And also, she says if there is a decrease in in the you know the, the taper week strength training. What's kind of the right way to get back on track after a race. So, uh, Kate, yes, I, I definitely, um, am, am on board with backing off a little bit of the strength training in that, that taper week period before your race or taper week, two weeks, whatever the case might be. Um, because I mean, you know, let's think about what we're trying to do. What what are we trying to accomplish with the taper? We're trying to give your body specifically your legs, um, but, but your whole body in general, the best chance to be fully rested, recovered, and ready to go on race day after, you know, a good hard 12 16 18 20 weeks of training leading up to this to this race. The last thing you want to do is show up at the starting line still fatigued, still worn down from doing too much training and not allowing your body to really rest, recover and and consolidate those gains and be ready to go on race day. So that You know, and and a lot of times that that we think about that in terms of running, or at least those that that embrace the taper think about that and cutting back on their running, maybe cutting out the speed work a bit, uh, cutting down some volume, um, and getting a little bit extra rest. But it certainly counts for your strength training as well. Um, So I would say, you know, that week of uh, the week of a race. Um, maybe no, no leg strength training, or maybe just a little bit of body weight stuff, a few squats, a few lunges, something like that. That's just, just body weight. Nothing, nothing intense. Uh, certainly no, no heavy weights, no heavy lifts, no CrossFit, things like that. that are going to leave you sore for several days. Um, you know, and, and even when you start getting into to three, four, five days out from the race, you might even cut back on the upper body stuff a bit, maybe do a little bit of core, a little bit of upper body stuff, but nothing, nothing crazy. Cause again, we you know, our, our, we sometimes think of our bodies as, you know, Upper body, lower body, core, and, and like these separate facets, but our body is, is one system. So if, if you beat up a huge strength training effort on your upper body uh, a couple days before your race, like your body is going to, your your whole body is impacted during that recovery process. So, you know, back off, back off the weights that week. Maybe, maybe do a little bit of something, a a couple of planks, or like I said, a couple of squats or a push up or two, but there's no need to do a whole bunch in that, that week of a race. Um, because again, we're, we're trying to be rested. We're trying to be recovered. We're trying to be ready to go, do a little extra foam rolling, do a little extra yoga, do something like that. That's going to help with the recovery process. That's not taxing on your body. Um, and then, you know, when you get to race day, Give it hell, get out there, go for it um, and and trust that the work you've been doing will pay off and that you're not going to lose anything from a taper period, from not strength training for a week or something like that. You're going to be just fine. Now, on the flip side, then, when it comes to coming back to running or back to strength training after your race, pretty much kind of the same guidelines as what you would do with your running. So, you know, nothing too crazy while you're still sore, um, you know, if, you know, speaking for, for myself right now, uh, just ran a a marathon a couple of days ago. Um, my legs are still sore, so I'm not doing any lower body strength training. I'm not doing any running. I'm not doing any lower body strength. I'm doing some easy time on the bike, you know, just to get the legs moving a little bit, get the blood flowing, doing some yoga, uh, on the strength training front. I'm, I'm hitting my upper body a little bit harder now because my upper body's not sore. Uh, so I'm doing some, doing some arm stuff, doing some chest, some back, things like that. Um, you know, and as, as the legs start to feel a little better, I'll start to get some more core work in there. And once, once the legs are pain free plus three, I'll start running again and I'll start lower body strengthening again. You know, like they, they kind of go hand in hand. So I'm letting my body recover right now after my race, um, which is what I would encourage you and anyone else to do as well. You know, and then once, once your body's good, once the legs are good, everything's happy, the body's feeling good again, you start running, you start strength chaining again. And just like you would ease back into your running, maybe not do any real crazy speed work for a week or 10 days, even though you're starting to run again, you're kind of rebuilding that base, solidifying the base again. Same thing with your strength training. You're not doing any crazy CrossFit workouts, not doing any max lift deadlifts or max lift squats or, or things like that. Just doing some body weight stuff, doing some clam shells, some, some, you know, some, some uh, band work, things like that that are lower intensity, just to kind of re, re-engage, you know, re, refire the glutes, things like that. And then after a week, after 10 days, things are feeling really good, no issues. That's when you start to get back to the, the. if you have a heavier weight training practice, that's where you get back to that type of stuff. So hope all that makes sense, Kate. But really, I mean, I would, I would you know, the, the simple answer, the TLDR version of the answer, just like you would do with your running tapering down and then coming out of the race, tapering back up, do the same thing, same pattern, same timeline with your strength training And, uh, that's giving yourself the best chance to be fully recovered and ready to go on race day. And then to be fully recovered from your race before you start hitting things again. And, uh, hopefully, you know, we're kind of reducing that chance of injury by trying to do too much too quickly post-race great question though. And I, like I said, hope all that makes sense. Uh, next question comes from, comes from Brooke says, uh, I'm considering an ultra at the end of the year. What was your longest training run before the race? And did you uh, train on the road or the trails? If it was trails, what do you recommend someone doing? If they don't have trails as an option, dirt roads, question mark. So Brooke, um, this is kind of one of those loaded questions that's, uh, I'm going to answer it, but please understand that there's a lot of variability to this answer as well. So, um, I did my, my longest training runs in the, probably the two months leading up to my, my ultra a, a week and a half ago, my, my 50 K bear bait ultras, North Florida. I did uh, a Thanksgiving S and G 26.2, which, uh, for those un, uh, uh, unaware, uh, earmuffs kids, it's the, it's the shits and giggles 26.2, which is just my own marathon. Nobody else is running it. There's no medal. There's no honor. There's no glory. It's just me out there unsupported getting 26.2 miles in. So I did that on Thanksgiving day, Thanksgiving morning, uh, got out, ran 26 miles. Uh, I think it was closer to 26 and a half, but you know, at that point I I didn't run a couple of tangents, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) so I ran, I ran my, my S and G marathon on Thanksgiving day. And then towards the end of December, I think the weekend between Christmas and New Year's, um, I did another 21, 22 miles, something like that. Um, those are my two longest miles. In between that, uh, I think I did a, maybe a couple of 20 milers or an 18 mile or something like that. Um, nothing nothing super dramatic. I mean, a, a marathon is, is substantial, of course. 21, 22, that's, that's substantial. But, you know, I mean, I was still, the race was 32 miles. So it wasn't like I got real close to that. Um, but I was fine, but I was fine. But I think when it comes to, Ultra marathon training, um, and those that are more experienced in, in ultra training can uh, can hopefully back me up on this. Um, total volume is as important, if not more important, than single run volume. Meaning that even though I wasn't running twenty plus miles every week for my long runs, I was getting thirty five to forty miles a week. Um, so so I was doing my long run, and I was getting. 15, 18, 20 miles in my other runs that during the week as well, for the most part. Uh, and actually maybe I was a little bit short of that, but that would, be, that, would that was the goal at least was to get, you know, to get to about 40 miles a week, 18 to 20 miles for my long runs with, with a couple of longer ones mixed in on occasion. And then, you know, 15 to 18 to 20 miles mixed in on my other runs during the week. So if you can do that, um, I don't know that you necessarily need to have too many really long runs, you know, having, having a 26, 27, 28 mile run, especially if you've never done that before could be a confidence builder, but it also, you know, don't, don't forget there's a flip side of that and that you're going to have to recover a bit more after that long run the following week. So you may not be able to run as much that, that next week. So, you know, it's, it's a balancing act. Uh, but I think total volume is the most important thing. So if you can, you know, by the end of the year, if you're looking at a 50 K as your first ultra, you know, if you can be getting your total weekly volume into that 40 ish, range um that gives you a pretty good chance a pretty good shot of being ready to go being able to be do it health you know do it without injuring yourself um and 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 you know if you can get one my one run in there that's close to to marathon distance in the in the month or two leading up to it that's that's probably good that's probably good um you know and and honestly running an ultra is such so, such a different world than road running and and road marathons that you know you're gonna walk more you're gonna chill more relax more it's it's so different that you know you'll be you'll be fine you'll be fine but it's not gonna be easy but you'll be able to do it uh as for not training on the the trails i mean i train mostly on the roads i I got a, a couple of trail runs but not nothing much um you know do what you can do what you can do make the make the best you can if you're gonna be on really technical trails and you don't have trails nearby you know the, the difference between training on a dirt road and a paved road, I mean, it's, it's hardly anything, you know, it's, it's a little bit softer surface, so maybe that'll help, but you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to get practice on avoiding tree roots and rocks and things like that. So when you get on the trail, you're going to, you know, you're going to slow down. You're going to watch your step. You're going you're to do all those things automatically. Um, I think, you know, as long as you know, go into the race, as fit as you can be, whatever that ends up looking like, wherever you have to train to, to get max fitness, get your runs in things like that. That's, that's more important than, than the, than the, the environment. I think that you train in some people might disagree with me, but I think for your first, your first ultra, um, that would be my recommendation is get your miles in. If it's on the road, that's fine. You're going to be okay. It's going to be certainly, it's going to be different on the trails. And if you can get a trail runner here or there, that would be great, but you don't have to try to do all of your runs on the trails or something like that. Next question comes from Ms. Melody says, what is your favorite color? This is really important and a relevant question. So, uh, my favorite color is blue ask, ask Addison, she'll tell you. Um, if you want to be more technical than that, um, probably something, you know, pr- pretty much any shade between like Royal and not quite Navy. I, I'm not real keen on super dark Navy blue. Um, but anything from like Royal blue to kind of a deeper, richer blue, uh, that's, that's kind of my jam, you know, a light blue, a baby blue, uh, Carolina blue, eh, you know, it's all right, but it's not, uh, not, not really as, as, as good to me as a good, rich blue that's my favorite color. Not sure why it's important or relevant, but you ask, I answer. And that one I can promise to you is 100% accurate. You know, some of these other questions you can maybe, you can maybe find an argument. Maybe I don't know if that's, if that's the right answer or not. This one promise hundred percent blue, my favorite color. (laughs) <laughs> thanks melody i know you got some more questions coming so we'll, we'll get to those in a minute another question from brooke says has your coffee intake gone down since you started doing pull-ups for every cup so if you missed it uh recently i posted something on my instagram it created a new rule at the uh the Dizruns runs hq that anytime i get a refill of coffee i've got to do five pull-ups so i i told you i put the the pull-up bar i got the pull-up bar and put it in the in the door doorway to my office um and so anytime you know the first cup is free First cup, first cup of coffee of the day, there's no pull-up requirement, but after that, anytime I fill her back up, got to do 5 5 pull-ups. Got to pay the pay the uh pay the piper. And uh, when I posted it to my Instagram stories I said, so, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Either my back is going to be jacked or I'm going to wean myself off of coffee in in no time flat. Well, I am here to say <laughs> that that the coffee's not going anywhere. Come on, y'all. Uh there's there's no way I'm getting rid of coffee. Um that said, I, if I'm, if I'm honest, there's been a slight change in my coffee drinking habits and it's not so much in the total amount of coffee that I drink. I'm still drinking pretty much a pot a day, um, which you could maybe make an argument that that's too much, but whatever, you know, I'm, I'm good. You do you boo. I'll, I'll do me. If if my vice is having a little too much coffee, you know, whatever it it is, what it is. But the change has been that I'm not as quick to just top off a, a half, a half full cup of coffee. Um, because I'm cognizant of those pull-ups that I'm doing every day. So, uh, you know, if, if I get down to about half full and it's kind of not quite hot anymore, but it's still drinkable instead of just topping it off, I'll just drink it. If it starts getting cold, I might put it in the microwave instead of fill it back up with, with still hot coffee. Um, that way, you know, maybe it's, 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 uh, being a little bit sneaky, getting around the rules, but that way I don't have to do any pull-ups to have, to, to keep drinking the coffee. Um, I've also most days been erring on the side of let me get this big cup that i'll probably only have to refill maybe three times today instead of this smaller cup that you know every four sips it needs to be refilled and i'm gonna have to refill it six or eight times a day so that way you know again being smarter working smarter not harder uh, i'm still drinking pretty much the same amount of coffee but maybe i'm only doing most days you know 15 to 20 pull-ups instead of if i if i if i get one of those smaller cups god i'm gonna have to do 25 30 35 pull-ups and you know i mean like I'm all about getting stronger uh, and, and, and strengthening my back. Uh, obviously, that's why I set this rule up in place, but that's, that's a little excessive, don't you think? So big cups, drink it down till it's empty before refilling it. Uh, that's, that's been the changes to my coffee game, but total amount of coffee intake, holding steady. Holding steady, Eddie. Uh, no signs of that dropping off anytime soon. Uh, great question though, Brooke. Thanks for, thanks for bringing the Instagram world into the Facebook world. That was, that was a fun one. Uh, next question comes from Craig it says, uh, running a race at a higher elevation than you're used to, what tips or tricks can you do? Honestly, Craig, not a whole lot. Um, you know, the, the, I know that they make those, those oxygen masks that you can like train in. Um, but, but that, all that does is just make your training harder. Um, because ultimately the way your body adapts to being at elevation is when you're there 24 hours a day. So unless you can live your life in a bubble or you can wear that mask 24/7, you know, at work, while you're sleeping, while you're doing everything, um it's not going to it's not going to have the desired impact of like increasing your hemoglobin count which makes, you know, is which is what happens when you live at elevation. So, um you know, there's not a whole lot you can do. Kind of going back to to Brook's question about training for an ultra and you know roads versus trails, whatever, um, the best thing you can do to run a good race at elevation is just be as as fit as you can possibly be when you head to the race. You know, make sure that you're, you're trained well, make sure that you're have a good taper, make sure that your, your nutrition has been on point, make sure that you're, you're hydrated. Um, and, and also, uh, circling back to a uh, interview I did with, with Megan Finnessy, uh, who, who's the race director for the dirty 30, uh, and the double dirty, uh, 30 races out in Colorado. Uh, this was episode 401 doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I guess that means it's been 270 episodes ago. Um, 280 episodes ago. Goodness gracious. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I asked her that same question. You know, I was like, man, if I, if I were to ever come run your races up at, up at elevation in, in Colorado, um, you know, I'm, I'm training in Florida. What, what would be the best uh, tactic for arriving? She said, one, one or the other, either get there like a week or 10 days early so that your body does have a bit of a time to, to adapt or try to get there as close to race day as possible. Like get there the day before. Um, and, and, and run before, uh, you know, before your body starts to realize that, that it doesn't have all the oxygen that it's used to. So getting there three or four days beforehand, is kind of that, that, you know, lukewarm, not too hot, not too cold, not, not even really just right. Kind of just going to make you feel like, eh, and, and not be as ready to go. So, um, that's, that's some advice from a pro that, that is uh, aware of kind of what some tricks are get there either 10 days early or get there the day before, uh, but try not to get there too early, um, so that your body doesn't have time to adjust. But it also is kind of running on an oxygen deficit for a few days. So uh, I think that's that's the best the best advice that you could have there. And then, like I said, just be fit. Be hope you hope you have a great training cycle and be as ready to go as possible. Um, from a fitness perspective and, and then, you know, recognize it, that it's going to be different, you know, recognize it's going to be difficult, recognize that you're not going to be at the same splits as normal. Be realistic. You know, don't think that because you're running, you know, nine minute pace at sea level, you get up to to 10,000 feet and well, i it's just all in my head. I'm going to run nine minute pace. Like, no, no, you're not. You might run that for the first half of the race and then bonk like crazy, you know, adjust your expectations, slow down a bit. You're not going to be used to it. Even if, even if you get there the day before, it's still going to impact you. So be, you know, adjust your expectations a little bit. Um, you know, and kind of going back to, uh, Tom's question about destination races, make it fun, make sure that that having fun, finishing the race is first priority. And then, you know, if if you can hopefully be feeling good, push a little bit at the end, that's just the icing on the cake. Next question. We have got a couple of questions left. I think uh, if we count Melody's last question as one, even though there's like five, <clears throat> a little bit uh, excessive there, Madam. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, next question comes from Ms. Walton in the in the on the prairie, not on the tundra, but on the Canadian prairie. She says, Julie and I would like to know if you give your athletes tempo runs on their birthdays on purpose, because it sure seems that way to us. Oops. <laughs> apparently I've upset a few folks by not realizing that their birthday happened to fall on the same day as a speed workout day and, and, or a hard workout day and giving them the the gift that keeps on giving with a tempo run. Um, no y'all, I don't do that on purpose. Um, you know, I, I almost wish I could say that I, I could, but it's, it's just, it's just a fluke of circumstance. I'm sorry. You know, and if, if you want to just, you know, say, Hey, Diz, it's my birthday, I'm not doing it? Whatevs, I'm down with that, <laughs> I'm down with that. Um, but no, 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 I'm not trying to sabotage your birthday by making you do a tempo run. Um, it's just it's just sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There, you happy now? Happy birthday, ladies. Happy belated birthday, I guess, at this point. But uh, sorry about that, sorry about that. Uh, next question comes from Angie says suggestions for running after a quote unquote stress reaction in the foot. She said, I know it's like a four to six weeks in a walking boot to recover and then just walking and not even jogging until being pain free. But then what starting from scratch I'm about one week in and not freaking out as long as I can still ride my horse. But I know that the whole quote unquote coming back thing is going to be annoying. And I did it last year after another injury, so this will be a little bit easier in comparison. So, uh, yeah, Angie, I mean, basically, that's you've got it right. Start from scratch uh, because remember, so you're trying to protect that that injury, that stress reaction, that stress fracture, and allow it to heal by being in the walking boot, by not running, by by being non-weight bearing or at least you know very minimal impact to allow that that bone to heal. Um, so you know, assuming that by the time you're you're cleared to start running again, everything is healed, that's great. But don't forget that you know the other other bones, other part, other structures in your body, your joints haven't been getting that pounding for the last four, six, eight weeks either. So you know not only do we want to kind of basically start from scratch and really slowly, gradually ease back into running to help protect the injury that's just healed, but also to help protect the rest of the structures in your body and both both feet, both legs um, that haven't been used to that running pounding of running for the last month, two months, three months, however long it ultimately ends up being when you get back to that point. So yeah, ease in, start out with just, you know, lots of walking time on your feet, mix in some, some run, walk intervals, um, you know, short, short runs, lots of walking, things like that. Um, you know, those, those are the kind of things that you want to do. Um, you know, you can also, uh, let's see here. I, I wrote some notes down here trying to, trying to find the right ones. Um, you know, basically just kind of like being like, uh, Whoa, I'm looking at the wrong spot here. Where are we? Here we go. Here's, here's where the notes are for this one. Um, the time on your feet, run, walk, um, you know, start with only running a couple times a week. You know, if you're, if you're normally running five times a week before you were injured, now maybe it's down to twice a week, then three times a week. And you know, over the course of a month, two months, you get back up to five times a week, get back to your normal running routine. Um, you know, just, just trust the process. Don't rush the process. The recovery process very well could take the, re- the recovery process of getting from, I'm um, clear to start running again, to being, you know, back to where you were before the injury happened, um, might take as long, if not even longer than the actual recovery process from the injury where you were, you know, that four to six to, to 12 weeks in in the boot and recovering from the stress reaction, stress fracture. So just be patient, trust the process, make sure, you know, as, as, kind of often is the case with injuries. Make sure that you're taking care of your body as well as possible. Healthy foods, plenty of sleep, things like that. As, as little stress in your life as possible because all of those things help the body to recover, repair, uh, heal, heal as well as anything else, you know, riding the horse. That's, that's great for stress reduction. It's straight. That's great for just, you know, keeping you happy, keeping, keeping you, you balanced, you know, um, and that, that actually does help with the recovery process. So, you know, continue to do those types of things is good as well. So, uh, you know, look at this holistically, but as far as the, the, the foot, the, the, whatever, the, wherever the, the injury was, don't rush it, be patient and, and very, you know, basically like you're starting from scratch, um, and, and build back up. Last question or questions from Ms. Short. Number one, this is literally a five a five parter. Number one, why do some people have two pairs of running shoes? Or you know, I'll I'll add multiple pairs of running shoes just to rotate to hit your body a little bit differently. Uh, some people will have different different shoes for different different types of workouts, which I think is something that is one of the next questions. Uh, but kind of the more uh, quote unquote right answer is that when you have shoes and you and you wear them, you're running them. The 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 cushion, the foam in the shoe that is the shock absorber, the cushion part, it gets compressed from your, just from your body weight, from the force of the ground reaction. Um, and if you, you compress that down enough, uh, ideally you want that to, to decompress, to, to expand back out to its normal height before you run in them again. So sometimes, depending on how far you run, the surface you run, how you run, things like that, it can take 24, 36 hours for that foam to de- to fully decompress back to its normal state. So having two pairs of shoes, if you're running you know, days consecutive days in a row, um, by rotating them out, you're you're given that foam plenty of time to decompress and and get back to its normal state before you run again, which is gonna give you more shock absorption, you're gonna extend the life of the shoes, uh be more comfortable, all that kind of stuff. Now if you're like me and you wear mostly minimalist type of shoes, it really doesn't matter because there's no foam in them anyway. But if you're wearing a shoe with with a decent bit of cushion, that's why a lot of people would recommend having two pairs of shoes. Uh, number two question here, is it a good idea to have more than one pair of running shoes there? I guess I kind of just answered it. Um, it's, it, depending on the shoes, it's maybe a good idea depending on how often you run. It's probably a good idea. Um, is it mandatory? No. Number three, if it is a good idea, should you have a different pair for speed work versus easy runs, or should it be two of the same pair that you alternate wearing? Um, again, this is this is one of those where it's not a cut and dry answer. Um, our our good our good late friend Mr. Stephen Lee, um, I know he used to say that uh, he had he would rotate through three or four pairs of shoes, and he would purposely have each pair of shoes be different. So some were maximal comfort or maximal cushion, some were minimal, some were like ultra zero drop type of shoes, some were 10 millimeter drop shoes and his theory, which I don't really completely disagree with was that because each pair of shoes was different, he was challenging his body and his feet a little bit differently every way or every day. And that way he was also, you know, reducing the, the repetitive impact. Whereas if you have maybe two pairs of the same type of shoes, um, yes, you're giving that foam a chance to decompress, but your foot strike is going to always be the same. So you're maybe, you know, you're maybe always kind of highlighting the, the stress on the same part of your body, uh, that would be different if you had different styles of shoes. So, you know, there's, there's that line of thought. I know some folks like to have, you know, a lighter pair for like track work, speed work, things like that. Uh, a little bit more cushion pair for, uh, you know, the longer runs, the easy runs, the recovery runs, things like that. Um, is it a good idea? I don't know that it's a good idea. Is it necessary? Absolutely not. Is it a bad idea? No, I wouldn't go that far. Um, you know, it's just kind of a preference thing, uh, a budgetary thing. Cause let's not kid ourselves. Running shoes can be expensive, especially if you're buying two, three, four, five pairs. So you can have di- a different pair for the trails and a different pair for the track and a different pair for the easy runs and a different pair for the tempo runs. Um, and then just ha- another pair to rotate through like that's, that gets a bit, uh, can be a bit pricey. So, you know, that could be a factor. Um, I would say if you're going to run very technical trails, getting a pair of trail shoes is, is not a bad idea. Um, but you know, if, if that's, if that's going to be your two different types of shoes, a trail shoe and a road shoe, you're going to be okay. You're gonna be okay. Uh, for what's the point. I don't know. What's the point of what, what's the point of rotating shoes? I, I like to think we just answered that. Um, uh, I don't know, Melody. What's, what's the, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's required to have different pairs of shoes, but you know, some, Sometimes you just got to have different shoes to go with different outfits too. And that's the same in in running. So maybe maybe there's another reason to have multiple pairs of shoes. Uh, And then lastly, what is the meaning of life? Another very important question. Um, that's a stumper. I don't know. What is, what is the meaning of life? Um, be excellent to each other. Party on dudes. Quote, can, can I, can I quote Bill and Ted as the answer of what is the meaning of life? Be excellent to each other. Be excellent. Be excellent to each other. Party on dudes. There we go. And with that, we'll we'll leave we'll leave with a philosophical we'll we'll leave this episode on a philosophical note quoting Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. I bet you didn't think that was how this show was gonna end, but that's how we're gonna do it. I didn't think that's how this show was gonna end, but that's how we're gonna do it. So uh, thanks for all the questions, everybody. If you wanna be part of the Facebook group, you wanna get you, you you wanna join our little band of merry misfits. Uh, come, come hang out facebook.com slash no dizrunscom slash Facebook. Um, or if you're on Facebook, just search for the dizruns tribe, click to join the group. We'll let you in. You're, you're innocent until you prove yourself creepy. So you don't, don't be a bunch of, don't be a spammy, uh, posting your, your, your this or that or whatever. Just be, be cool. Talk about running stuff. Post your your runs. Use it for accountability. Ask some questions. Crack some jokes. Those kind of things are always welcome. Uh, We'd love to have you. Dizruns.com slash Facebook. Um, Thoughts, feedbacks, takeaways from this episode. uh, At Dizruns on Twitter. At Dizruns on Instagram. Dizruns at gmail.com. And uh, for the memes, the gifs, and the other tomfoolery, lots of links as well. Dizruns.com slash 681. 681 episodes. Who knew? Closing in on 700. And there might might be a little something something in store around episode 700 stay tuned for more on that if uh things i don't want to say fall into place if i if i get off my 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 tuckus and make some things happen there might be a little something something that happens around episode 700 so stay tuned but we'll get we'll get there when we get there for now thank you for listening to today's episode of the show hope you enjoyed it as per usual um, if you did share it send along pass it on to somebody else don't forget to keep supporting the sponsors it certainly is appreciated exoskin.us is the website coupon code Dizruns at checkout save yourself 20% on uh, what I'll be so bold as to say the, the best sweat wicking dry fit compression type of gear that uh, you've ever had and I'll, I'll make that bold statement right here um, check it out exoskin.us and until next time please be well take good care thanks all for the questions this month certainly appreciate couldn't do these shows without you guys Um, so thanks for the questions hope the answers are helpful and until next time please be well talk soon take care guys